I like food. <laughs> I love to eat food. I mean, my, my favorite word in almost any restaurant has to involve the word buffet. <laughs> I love to eat. And, and one of my favorite places to eat at, I, I was, uh, became introduced to almost 10 years ago. It's a place called Freebirds. How many people have been to Freebirds before? Okay, not enough, okay? Um, and unfortunately, the closest Freebirds happens to be in Lubbock, Texas. But let me tell you a little bit about Freebirds, in case you don't know about it. It's, they, they have these burritos that they make for you, okay? And you can get all different types of tortillas. I can't even describe all the different ones. But, and, and you get the tortilla, you pick out the type of tortilla, and you pick out the size of the burrito that you want them to make for you. Uh, and they have several different kinds. They have the regular, they have the little monster, they have the monster, and they have the super monster. Okay? And so the super monster requires two of their largest tortillas that are about that big around. And they set one on top of the other. It goes without saying, I always order the super monster. Much to the dismay of the people who are making the burrito for me. In fact, the last time I ordered the super monster, the lady looked at me and says, I don't know how to make those. She had to go get somebody else because you have to wrap them a certain way. Uh, And then they start putting in the rice and the different kind of beans, and they put in a beef or chicken and cheese and and the onions, and it's just fantastic. And then they wrap it in a way that no other burrito maker can do. They wrap it in such a way that the the bottom of uh, the, the burrito is flat. And so they literally stand it up on its end. It is, it is about, no kidding, about that big around. You don't put your mouth around it. You, I mean, you can try, but it doesn't really work. You kind of just eat it with a spoon or a bowl, or you just ha- have at it anyway. And it stands, the Super Monster's about this tall. The last time that they made one for me, uh, it's a big joke around there to weigh them. And mine tipped the scales at just a hair over four pounds. It was a massive burrito of just... Heavenly goodness. I love free bird. I can eat the super monster and not have to eat again for several days. It's very special. I love, I love free birds. I love to talk about free birds. I love to go to free birds. When I'm in Lubbock, I always try to stop by there. And even if I can't sit down and eat that, I'll order it to go. And I'll let it sit in my saddlebag or in the side of my, in the seat of my car until I get home several hours later so I can, I can hardly wait to eat it. I love free birds. Did I tell you about a good book I just recently read? It's called Unbroken. Anybody familiar with this? Unbroken is a book that you really should read. I'll admit I didn't actually read it. I listened to it. I got the audio portion of it. It is a great book. It's a a book about perseverance. It was written by uh, Laura Hillenbrand. I've talked a little bit about it. It's the life of Louis Zamperini and his struggles through being an Olympian in the 1936 Olympics and his dream to go on to run in the 1940 Olympics. But as you know... 
there was no 1940 Olympics. There was a, uh, a war that was going on among the whole world. Uh, we would now just call it World War II, and it had just en- engulfed the whole uh, earth in a, a war. And so there were no games. But it's a story of perseverance and the story of a man uh, who had been um, uh, stranded uh, in a boat after his plane uh, crashed. Uh, he was uh, in the Air Force, in the Army, a ranger, and he crashed and was at sea for a long time and he was, um, uh, became a POW. And to hear his story of perseverance and what happened as he was beaten over and over again and how the anger and hatred he had for those who had uh, captured him and had beaten him and taken away his dignity and just everything. It was a wonderful story. Uh, I love, I'd love for you to sit down and read or listen to that story. They've made a movie about it. I, I suppose you could save yourself a few hours and just go watch the movie, but that's really something that you should do. Have I told you about Jesus? Have I told you about how he completely changed my life? I love to talk about Jesus. I love how Jesus has transformed my life because I've bought in so many times to lies from Satan that says that I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough. But let me tell you about a Jesus who came into my life and saved me even as a young man. Boy, I struggled as a teenager. Most people have issues. I had lots of them. I had issues with how I looked, how I felt. Things that were going on with my family, just everything seemed to be a wreck. I went to this school and I just didn't feel like I really fit in. And, and, and that just led to me acting out even more and, and kind of making myself a little bit of a troublemaker. And I was just angry and hurt and scared and I didn't know what to do. I was confused. And my dad had this terrible accident while he was flying a helicopter and it nearly killed him and my parents were caught up in an ugly, ugly divorce and the church didn't know what to make of, you know, a deacon in the church and the, uh, the VBS coordinator, all of a sudden our perfect family was ripped apart and they didn't know what to make of this and they were really hurt by all that was going on and they didn't know how to handle us. And, and what to tell us, and I, everything just seemed to go from bad to worse. And I had some pretty angry, horrible thoughts as a young man. And I questioned, not that there was a God, I believed that there was a God, but I also thought that he was really angry at me. And I bought into this idea that he just hated me that he wanted to make my life miserable, miserable because all the ways that I had let him down. It was, it was pretty awful. And then I began to understand that maybe, maybe if Jesus was who he said he was, if he was more than a carpenter, if he was more than a good teacher, if he was more than just a guy, a Jew uh, from Nazareth, maybe... Maybe he could be a savior, and maybe his saving grace went all the way through 2,000 years and landed in my life, and he says, your sins I died for, well, then that would change a few things, and it did. 
it completely changed my life. I can remember at 18 years old deciding that I didn't want to hang out and party and do things that I didn't need to be doing. Not because it was illegal, not because it was bad, not because it was dangerous, but, but because it was, it left me empty and it left me hollow. And I didn't like who I was. I didn't like that I had absolutely no hope except a fake ID and a Friday night. And then I began to believe that maybe Jesus meant something more. And He began to come alive. And the 2D flannel graph of Jesus holding a lamb came into my life and took on a third dimension as I began to see that He was real and His love was real. And all of a sudden, I wanted to get more and more of Him. And I wanted to get out away from my high school buddies and my college friends that all they wanted to do was party and I wanted to be submersed in a culture and around people who loved Him too and I wanted to talk about Him more and I wanted to learn more about Him. And all of a sudden, my direction in life drastically changed. And all of a sudden... I began getting really excited about things besides movies and parties and even all-you-can-eat buffets. I started off just a few minutes ago talking about something that I dearly love, food. And I love talking about Freebirds. And I would invite any one of you to join me sometime to go to Freebirds. I won't share my burrito with you, but I will buy you your own. I would love to sit down and talk about a recent book that I've read or a movie that I've seen. Those things that excite me, but there is nothing that gets me throttled, nothing that gets me going, nothing that gets me so anxious and excited than talking about how Jesus changes lives completely. Not just a little, they're different. We've been looking at the last several weeks at Acts chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, and we've seen not a blueprint, but these characteristics that the church displayed because Jesus came in and changed their lives. It was different. People knew that they were different. People wrote about how these people, they did these things in Acts chapter 2, like they, they would give things to each other and take care of one another. It was this society where they would sell the things that they had uh, so that they could help somebody else. And not only would they give things that they would be willing to receive as well. Not only were they a people who would give and receive, but we also saw from Acts chapter 2 and beyond that even through the persecution, they didn't pray that things would get easier. They prayed that they would be bold, that God would give them strength. Not that their enemies would run away scared, but that they would stand up to Him and say, this is the Jesus who you crucified. We preach and we do miracles through Him. They called for boldness. And last week we talked about this idea of there was this call to holiness. 
That it wasn't just about what God had done in their lives. It was their response. And that response was, I want to be like Him. Not so that I can earn something. So that people can see me. And when they see me, and they see the way that I love and I forgive, they say, that's something I want to follow. And ultimately, that would lead them back to Jesus. And Jesus would ultimately lead them back to God, their Creator. There was this call to holiness. And as we look at in Acts chapter 5, we're going to see that the church was moving because of the Holy Spirit. The last time we left the apostles, there were lines in in the dirt where Ananias and Sapphira had been drug out of their place and were buried. Can somebody tell me what would happen if somebody came forward and lied about something that they had done and right then and there was struck dead, fell down. A few hours later, the spouse comes in, lies the same lie, and is struck down. And word gets out that at the Taylor Street Church of Christ, two people died, they were struck dead, and their bodies were carried outside, and there was a hole dug, and they were buried. How many people will be here next week? Think about this. All of a sudden, I'm going somewhere else. I don't know that it would draw in a large group of people. So this is what we have just finished in Acts chapter 5, verse 11. So you're probably going to scratch your heads when you you hear this next portion. I'm going to read a very long passage. And I'm going to do so because it's the Word of God and it's more important than what I have to say about it. And so if you have your Bibles, this is going to be a lengthy passage. Open up to Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. And as we read this, don't forget... Ananias and Sapphira had just died. Okay, word has gotten out of what has just happened. And this is the response. You've got to believe that what about is what about to happen is a mass exodus. That people are going to leave and run and never come back. It's bad enough to talk about a crucified carpenter. But now... What's also coming out from that same camp is that people are dying when they lie. Verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. So that's what we would expect to hear. Nevertheless... More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to that number. That doesn't seem quite right. Had they forgotten? Did they not read the paper? As a result, people brought the sick into the streets 
and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those who were tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. So things are still going well despite the fact that Ananias and Sapphira had just died. People aren't running away, they're coming to it. Why? Why are people coming to know Jesus even in the midst of some bodies that had just been drugged out and buried? Why? You would think that would spell disaster. Why didn't it? Well, there were a few people who didn't like what was going on. And listen up in verse 17 and following. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he says, and tell the people the full message of new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. I love this. This is so great. This would make for a great movie, wouldn't it? When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of all the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guards and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. This is so great. They throw them in jail because they're jealous because all of the wonderful things that have taken place. And while they're in jail, an angel of the Lord releases them from jail, but nobody knows that they've been released. So they go out to the temple courts and they start preaching about Jesus and what He's done. And meanwhile, the Sadducees, they say, let's go get the guys from jail. They walk past the guards. They open up the jail cell. They look inside and there's nothing there. And they say, what happened to him? What's going to come of this? Meanwhile, outside, the apostles are doing just what the Spirit had told them to do. The Sadducees, they're inside saying, what are we going to do? How do we keep them quiet? We'll put them in jail. But they're not in jail. They were moving. Then someone came and said, look! The men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. That's a head-scratcher. How did this happen? The apostles would not stop. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. That is the most crazy, ironic phrase I think I have ever heard. I love, we told you not to talk about him. 
We told you not to do this. But you're doing, and not only are you still talking, you're trying to make us guilty. Which, if we go back and read Matthew chapter 27, verse 25, we remember what they said. You know, we let his blood be on us. We'll take responsibility for his death. And now they're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you trying to make us the guilty ones? We, it's not us. But they kept moving. Peter and the others replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead whom you had killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him to His own right hand as a prince and savior that He might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given us to those who obey. And when they heard this, they said, you know what, you're right. It's our fault. We, we, did, we did crucify Him. He was the Son of God. And we want to confess our sins and repent. And we want to go out in the temple courts. And we want to proclaim the carpenter as the Savior. Right? They were mad. <laughs> furious is the word as the NIV uses. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. And I love this. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin, and he ordered the men to be put out. And I'm going to paraphrase this, but I love this portion. Gamaliel comes to him, and he gives a a history of some different people uh, who had had started these rebellions, these insurrections against Rome, or even against uh, the Sanhedrin. And ultimately, their leader was killed, and everybody was dispersed, and they were heard of no more. And Gamaliel says, okay, let's learn from history. Leave them alone. If they're from men, then all we have to do is let it run its course. It's going to die out. In a few years, it'll be Jesus who? Nobody will know. Some other guy will, you know, he will start his own little insurrection and rebellion and he'll get squashed and we'll just go through this. Just let it run its course. But then he says this, but if it's from God, we can't stop it. We would only be fighting against God. And ultimately, they agree. But listen to this. Verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of of suffering disgrace for the name. Verse 42. By the way, before they released them, they beat them. They knew that they couldn't kill them, because that would get them in trouble, but at least they they could flog them. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. No one could stop them. They were compelled to do so. Not like you talk about a burrito. Not like you talk about a book. Not like you talk about a sports team. The way that it just yearns deep down inside Isaiah says, you know, the word of the Lord is a 
fire within my bones. I can't contain it. I just have to let it out. Romans chapter 12 says, we should no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of our minds. There is a complete change that takes place over people when Jesus Christ enters their hearts and their lives. They look different, they talk different, they act different. People notice it. They see you walking down the street, they see the way that you treat people. And they know that there is something different about you. There is something drastically different about us. Now sometimes we get caught up in a routine and we get comfortable and it gets really hard. And sometimes we find ourselves worshiping in a very subdued manner and we forget that we're transformed people. That we are completely changed and we should have all of our heart and all of our being with us as we worship God everywhere that we go. David got made fun of by his wife Michael when he danced before the Lord with all his might. And she says, that's silly, you don't do that. You need to be more respectable than that. Remember, you're a king. And he says, you don't forget that God is God. And folks, we have a God who is worthy of every fiber of all of our energy, and we should be willing to give up everything for the one who gave up everything for us. We're called to be alive. We're called to be different. Now, I don't know what that looks like on a Sunday morning. I don't. Part of me says that Sunday morning worshiping God maybe should look a little bit more like a football game than a funeral. Part of me says that. But then part of me realizes this. Everybody worships differently. And you are no more holy for lifting your hands than for sitting on them. I want to share something with you that has very little to do with what we're talking about, maybe a little bit, but there's a a picture I saw the other day, and I think it fits in. It says, if your Holy Ghost just makes you run around and dance, but doesn't help you live holy, then it's not the Holy Ghost, it's ADHD. So I'm not saying that the answer is we all need to run around and be crazy. But I think at some point... The way, if you are passionate about talking about burritos, your passion for your Savior should exceed that. If you love talking about the Cowboys and how they're going to win and how they're better than the Denver Broncos, Richard Navaretti, <laughs> which they are, okay? If you get excited about talking about that, then think about how excited you should be. How God changed your life. People in this world who don't know Jesus, they have no hope. And there is nothing good to look forward to beyond what they can see or touch or feel. And their life will continue to decline and they will be angry and bitter and lost because there's nothing else to hang on to. We have something that says there is nothing that will happen in this world that will take away what Jesus has promised in our lives. And there are people out there right now who are weeping 
There are people who are walking up and down the aisles of a grocery store like a zombie because they got hit with news and they cannot imagine that anything in their life will ever make their life better. And what we can do is say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about a God who comes into the dark places of your life and He reveals light in such a way and He sends love and grace and mercy and hope to you where there's nothing else. That's how we are transformed people. The church in Acts chapter 5 They moved. They were persecuted and they kept moving. They were put in jail and they kept moving. They were told not to speak about Him and they kept moving. They moved in the way that they worshipped, whether that was on a Sunday, whether that was on a Wednesday, it didn't matter. There was nothing that would stop what would take place. And Gamaliel's words never rang more true. 2,000 years later, millions and millions and millions of people still talk about and confess that the carpenter on the cross is the one who is Lord and God. We have arranged our calendars in such a way so that we count back to Jesus. I want us to be a people who are on fire for the Lord. I don't want us to just run and dance around because that's what we should do. I just want our worship to be an overflow of the Spirit that's in our lives. Now we can continue to sit and we can can continue to walk around and mumble about how low the barrel is, how the economy is rough, how the laws of the government aren't the way that they should be. We can talk about schools. We can talk about crime. We can talk about cancer. We can talk about heartache. Or we can talk about Jesus. And we can live in such a way that we have transformed lives. Why do you think the church grew? Was it because people were literally dying to get in there? Was it because Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead? Was it because of the miracles? Or was it because people said, my life is completely changed because of Jesus. And I can't live life the same anymore. We can't do it. You cannot have Jesus living in your life, in your heart, and then you look and sound and talk and act like everybody around you. We're different. And my call for us is to continue to embrace what Jesus has for your life And may your worship in here and may your worship out there tell of a God whom you have given your heart to because He gave His life for you. Let us be a moving church. Let's be a people who we're not afraid what the person besides us thinks 
about how we worship or the neighbor who thinks what we would say might embarrass us. Let's be a people who just exude His love. And let's do it as we stand and sing.